Hi everyone, thanks for joining me for this teaching. My name is David, I'm the pastor of Foundation Church Belfast and together over these next few moments I want to think with you about Easter. You know, Easter is one of the most important celebrations in the, the Christian calendar and so I think it's important for us to spend some time just thinking uh, briefly by getting to grips with what, what is Easter, what is the, the, the Christian message. Uh, so together we're going to read uh, for a few verses from the Bible. We're going to look then um, at a little more detail at the actual history, you know, the, the story of Easter. And then when we've done that in part two, we're going to look at the meaning of Easter. What, if any, meaning does it have for us? It's, it's theology, if you like. And thirdly and finally, in, the, in part three, we're going to look at the, our response to Easter or some of our responses to Easter. Um, so first of all, the, the, the history of Easter, the theology of Easter, and thirdly, the need for Easter. Before we do that, I want to read to you from Mark's Gospel uh, account in the New Testament, Mark 16, one of the earliest uh, writings uh, to, to talk about the life of Jesus, says this, When Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so they might go and anoint him. Uh, and very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And, and, he, and he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. It's important that uh, before we think of the meaning or, or uh, how we respond to Easter, we understand um, that it was a historic event. It's something that really happened, that, that, that a man called Jesus of Nazareth was crucified, that they placed him in a tomb, and according to what we've just read, that tomb was empty on the third day, on the, the Sunday morning. And he appeared subsequently to, to many, many people, including his disciples. Uh, we've just read from Mark's Gospel account. It's the earliest of all the four Gospels in the New Testament, written from 20 to 30 years after the events it describes. So within living memory for a lot of people, uh, very easy for Mark to collate eyewitness information, first-hand information from those who were actually there. And so therefore, what we've just read together is the earliest resurrection account in all four of the Gospels. Obviously, if this was written two or three hundred years later after the facts that it reports, it would be a bit of a dubious uh, historical document. But this is incredibly early and increases uh, our confidence that what we're reading here it actually happened. Um, so the story uh, up until this moment has been that Jesus of Nazareth, as, as we said, died on a cross, that he was taken down from that cross and, and placed in this, uh, this temporary tomb belonging to a man called Joseph of Arimathea. So, so um, to use our, our, uh, our, our dating, Jesus died on the Friday. On the, the Saturday, which was the, the, the Jewish Sabbath, the day of rest, um, he, was, he was in the tomb. Uh, nothing happened. Uh, because the Jews, by law, were pro prohibited from work, they were prohibited from touching a dead body, etc. And so it tells us, uh, in the section we've just read, that at the, at the crack of dawn on, on the first day of the week, on the Sunday, um, two women called Mary and one woman, woman called Salome, three of them, went off to anoint uh, the body, 
with spices. That was traditional uh, part of the, uh, the preparation process for burial. And it's clear from what we've just read together that their actions and their discussion, they, expect, they went expecting to find a dead body. You know, they came prepped with the spices and all the bits and pieces required to prepare the body for formal burial. And in fact, in verse 3, there, it seems that they're chatting on the way, asking one another um, who, who was going to remove the stone. You know, they, they, they knew that the stone had been placed over the place where Jesus was. They were worried about getting access to, to the body so they might carry out their, their duties. And so there they were, worried about that, thinking, well, the three of us can't move it. We'll, we'll need some help or some, you know, um, people with muscle or whatever it is uh, to get this thing moved. Anyway, it says there that instead of, of, of seeing the stone there, they, they got there and found it had been rolled away. And instead, when they went inside, this individual, this character that Mark describes as a young man, in verse 5, was sat there instead. Now, that young man was not Jesus. Um, Mark doesn't comment who that young man was in, in Matthew's gospel account and Luke's gospel account. Um, they identify him as an angel. Um, but anyway, a young man was there, uh, had a youthful appearance, sort of uh, has a ring of authenticity about it, I think. Uh, you know, An eyewitness account. Who, who would have known what he looked like? had it not been someone who had seen him. Anyway, sat again on the right side of where the body was. Again, it seems like a pointless detail um, unless it was, uh, you know, true eyewitness testimony. But anyway, this young man uh, was there. It says that these three women were alarmed, as you would probably be, going expecting to find a dead body and finding that not only there's a stone rolled away, but the body was gone. They were alarmed. And the young man spoke to them and he said, look, don't be alarmed, you know, chill out. It's okay, relax, peace be with you. Um, you. You've come here, haven't you, seeking Jesus of Nazareth, the one who was crucified. But let me tell you, he has risen. Love that. He has risen. He's not here. See, come, look, and uh, look at the place where he was laid. Come and check. Come and have a good look around. He's, he's definitely not here. One, one thing we didn't read together at the end of the, the passage before was that these three women, um, well, two of them anyway, uh, Mary, the two Marys, were there at the time when Jesus was buried. So they knew exactly where he was placed. They saw the, the most likely the, the, the stone being rolled. They knew exactly the situation. And when they got back on the Sunday, as we're reading, it was very, very different to how they remember from the Friday nights. He's not there. The young man continues. Look, uh, Jesus will meet his disciples in, in Galilee. He, he, he told them that already. Um, this is a reminder. Go Tell, go back and tell the disciples, you know, Peter, James and John and all those other guys, Jesus will meet him, meet them in Galilee uh, at the place where he talked about um, as he planned. And then the account ends with, with their reaction, the, the three women in verse 8. It says they fled, they, they panicked, they freaked out and they dashed away. Probably a million things going through their minds at this moment, struggling to, to take all this in, the, the message from this, this angelic figure. Uh, the, the, the consequences of the empty grave. What should they believe? Was this, it? Was this just a hallucination? Was this even true? They lost the plot and they ran. It says they didn't tell anyone. They were afraid to say anything to anyone. Now we know from other gospel accounts that they indeed eventually did say to others and, and shared the news, uh, which kick-started a whole chain of events. But right now we're left with them in verse 8, fleeing away, freaking out. 
You know, this account that we've just read is, is made even more remarkable when we understand something of the, 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 the background to this text. Um, in the ancient Near East at the time when this was written, um, it, under Jewish law, it was not permissible for a woman to give testimony in court. Uh, different in our day, of course. But women were not considered to be reliable witnesses. And so just think for a moment, if someone was going to be fabricating uh, a story about a resurrected saviour, then women would not have been the first ones that would be written into the story uh, to discover the resurrection. Instead, if you or I were writing a, a, a legend or a fabricated tale, uh, you may have put yourself as the one who discovered um, Jesus or you know, Peter, you know, or the great apostle or, or victoriously empty, you know, walking into the empty tomb or someone like that. But it wasn't. The only plausible explanation uh, for women to be the first ones to discover the resurrection was that it is a true account. They really did enter the tomb. They really did find that it was empty before anyone else did. You know, it's sometimes said about other religions, other world religions, take for example Buddhism, that it doesn't really matter whether Buddha was a historic person or not, whether he actually did live or, or existed or not. The, the thing that holds such religions together is, is the teaching, the, the, uh, the, the, the moral philosophy, the, the pattern uh, of how to live your life. That's what's important. But nothing could be further from the truth when it comes to Christianity. In fact, Christianity rises and falls on the historicity of the empty grave. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes elsewhere, uh, in, if in Christ we have hope only in this life, he says, we of all people, we Christians of all people are to be most pitied. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. What's he saying? He's saying that unless Jesus really rose from the grave, then Christianity simply falls apart. It doesn't matter how good it makes your life in the here and now, what it does for your marriage or your sense of purpose or anything like that. Unless the grave is empty, we have nothing. Paul said that we are above all people are to be most pitied if Jesus didn't rise from the grave. We should just hang out and party and enjoy our, our short time on earth because that's all we have. But if it is true, if the grave was empty, if Jesus did rise from the dead, as the gospel accounts that we've been reading plainly suggest, then we must take notice. We must think about it. So I wonder, have you ever read the gospel accounts? Have you ever taken time to consider them on their own terms? And if you have, do you have reasons to reject them, to, to, to not take them as true? Now it's obvious, isn't it, that people ordinarily in our own experience, do not rise from the grave. It is a, a weird phenomenon. It is a one-off, we could say. Yes, it is weird. Yes, it is unusual. But the question is, not is it weird, but the question is, did it happen? Was the grave empty? Are these accounts to be taken at face value? Because Christianity rises and falls on the truth of the empty grave. Now we come to the theology of Easter, that is the, the meaning of Easter. Uh, that Easter has happened is one thing, but what does it mean? Um, 
And so trying to sum up in a, in a few words what Easter means is like uh, trying to swallow the Atlantic Ocean. Or it's like trying to uh, count the grains of sand on the seashore. It is almost impossible because there are, there's so much of it. Um, but let me just fire a few things out when it comes to the, 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 the meaning of Easter. Easter means uh, that Christ died for our sins, for forgiveness. Easter means that you and I can be cleansed, clean from all of our sin, all of our past, all of our backgrounds can be removed because of Easter. Easter means that God's just anger against all of our sin is put away. Easter means that you and I can be made right, righteous in God's sight, accepted in his presence. Easter means that you and I can be reconciled to God, brought near, re-established in our relationship to him and to one another. Easter means that you and I can be adopted as a child of God and enjoy all the benefits of having God as our father. Easter means that we are raised with Christ in a new life. Easter means that we are given power over our enemies. We are given power to live for God, power to overcome any destructive patterns that are in our lives. Easter means that we can enjoy and enter into the victory of Jesus that he won when he disarmed the rulers and authorities in the spiritual realms. Easter means that we can enter the kingdom of God and receive his Holy Spirit and we can know the healing presence of God now as we look forward to the complete healing that we will receive in the future. Easter means we receive peace. It means we receive power. It means we receive purpose in our lives. Easter gives us hope of a future with God. Easter is this and more. It is profound. It is deep. It goes to the very depths of the human soul and mind and its implications. And yet it goes, uh, becomes cosmic in all of its scope, stretching to all of the created order, bound up and influenced by what happened that day when the grave was empty. And the good news is that the implications of Easter are available to all of us. It is a free gift. One doctrine or teaching that captures them all, the, the one that sits, I believe, as the queen of all doctrines, uh, that, that, that takes the, the historical facts of Easter and the, the theological benefits of Easter and, and, and applies them to us. The doctrine is called union with Christ. Let me explain what I mean and why that's important for our understanding of Easter. The Apostle Paul writes this in Romans 6 verse 4. He says, we were buried with him, that is Jesus, by our baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And he goes on to say, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. If we think of uh, Easter as a historic event, uh, we might be, be even stirred by the benefits that we can see of Easter. But if we leave it there, all of that stuff, all those riches, all those benefits just remain out there somewhere, detached. They're, they're hanging out in the air. But Paul shows us here in, in, in Romans 6 that through faith and trust in Jesus' work on our behalf, we become united 
to Jesus Christ. That's the doctrine of union with Christ. Why is that important? Why is that important in our understanding of Easter? Well, Paul puts it like this. Through faith in Jesus, through your faith in Jesus, you are buried with Christ. Therefore, you will rise with Christ. A person who's united to Christ by faith, uh, when, when Jesus walks in new life, we walk in new life. What happened to Jesus happened to you spiritually, really, truly in union with Christ. You died with him and you were raised with him. And you see, when I, when I first understood this doctrine of union with Christ, it, it blew my mind. It changed everything I, I thought I knew about being a Christian and, and brought everything I, for me into a sharp focus, into definition. Because Easter is not just an impressive list of benefits that Jesus has won for us. It is that. Um, it is not just blessings given to us, although it is those things for sure. But Easter, the meaning of Easter, is ultimately about being united and connected to Jesus and through him God in the most profound and truest level possible. Just let that sink in for a few moments. Easter is not just a historic fact, although it is. Through faith in Jesus and union with him, it is your history. It becomes yours. Because what happened to Jesus happened to you through faith in Christ. Well, we've thought about the history of Easter and we've just considered the theology of Easter as well. And uh, finally, I want to look at the, the need for Easter. Is there a need for Easter? And, and if so, what, what should our reaction be to Easter, to the, the Easter story that we're, we're thinking about? Because on a basic level, let's face it, if everything in your life and mine is fine and dandy and everything is just utter perfection, then none of us have any need for Easter whatsoever. Um, but let's, let's, let's be honest. I don't think there's anyone listening in who can say that is true of themselves. Certainly not me. So let's look at three more responses that you and I or anyone can have uh, regarding Easter. When we've looked at the history, uh, the, the, the facts of, of Easter, and we've thought about what it means in, in terms of its theology and what it means can mean for me through faith in Jesus. What, what are the, the three basic responses that we can make? Well, the first one, quite simply, is that when you hear the history and, and you think of the theology of Easter, you, your response might be, yes. Give me Jesus. I, I want him. I need him. It, it clicks. The history clicks and the theology goes deep down and it evokes some sort of need or desire or, or praise or worship within you. And, and, and you effectively want to say to God, God, take my life. I, I, I need you. I need you. Help me. Take it all. I, I want to live for you. Uh, how can I hold anything back from you? When you held nothing back from me, you gave your son, your only son. I want to honor you. Sin has no hold on me. I trust in Christ. I receive him by faith. That, that could be uh, one response that you can make when you think clearly and honestly about Easter. And if that's you and uh, you want to accept Christ by faith, then I would love to uh, pray with you. 
We're going to pray together at the end of this message. Uh, but also, I would love to invite you to our, our online Alpha course, which we're going to be running together at Foundation Church. An opportunity for you to come uh, online and, and learn about the basics of, of, of Christianity and ask and talk in a, in a really uh, open and non-judgmental environment where we can ask questions and help each other get to know Jesus better. We'd love to invite you to that. That's going to be starting in the next uh, the next week here at Foundation Church. So details can be found about that on social media. So the first response, yes, give me Jesus. I want him. I need him. I want to trust in him. I want to give my life to him. The second response, though, could be this. Maybe you've listened uh, to the gospel account and you maybe even found that you've been stirred by it a little bit. Um, but when you look at yourself and, and, and you think of your need for Easter, you just resolve uh, that you're not that bad. Um, you, you don't really need all this, this religious stuff applied to your life. Other people may be. Um, but as far as you're concerned, you live a reasonably good life and, and maybe a good life in comparison to other people that you know. Um, and so therefore you don't think you really need the, 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 you know, the, the benefits of Easter apply to you. That religious stuff is, is for other people who really need it. Uh, but in that, compa- in, in that scenario, um, I'm not really that bad. Yeah. Um, in that scenario, we often compare ourselves to uh, others, but we compare ourselves to the worst form of other people that we know, and the most horrid individuals at work, or the most uh, stupid people in our families. And we think, well, I'm, I'm not as bad as them. Uh, therefore, we sort of encourage ourselves that we're actually okay, that we don't need Easter for ourselves. But I wonder if, if we uh, stop comparing ourselves to uh, the horrid evil people in our lives um, and, and whether we start comparing ourselves to good people, saintly people, Mother Teresa's, for example, uh, how do you stack up against them? Then maybe uh, we start to feel slightly less assured, less confident about our need or, or uh, not for our need for Easter. And let's be honest with ourselves for a moment. We, we often fail to live up to our own standards, let alone the standards of other good saintly people like Mother Teresa and others like her. I mean, do you even live perfectly in the way that you expect other people to live in your presence? There's, there's one old illustration that Francis Schaeffer, a Christian author and, and uh, leader, once gave. And he said, imagine that uh, for every, every person who was born, uh, a, a recorder was placed around their necks that, that uh, records uh, thoughts and words. Not every thought and every word, but just records, it clicks on every time you pass or think a value judgment. You pass a value judgment on someone else or uh, an expectation of someone else and how they should behave and treat you. And this recorder clicks on day after day, year after year, on, off, on, off. Every time you make uh, a value judgment or expectations of other people to behave in a certain way towards you and records all that. And then imagine for a moment that you stand before God uh, and uh, one day and, and, and you say to God, look, you, you can't judge me. Uh, you, can't, you can't send me to hell. You can't do anything like that uh, because I never knew your law. I never followed your religion. You can't judge me. And, and imagine then God replying to you and saying, okay, fair point. Let's see how you stack up against your own law. And so he takes the video recorder from around your neck or the sound recorder and presses play. 
how would you stack up against your own law, let alone mine? You see, the difference between a Christian and a, a non-Christian is not that the Christian is good and the non-believer is bad. No, that's not the difference. The, the Bible teaches that all people are fallen and sinful and messed up. The difference, though, is that the Christian realises that he or she is hopelessly bad and that they need help from God. They need rescue from him. They need his grace. You see, in the gospel, in the good news, we see that we are a lot lot worse off than we realized in the eyes of God but yet we are simultaneously more loved and favored by God than we could ever dream and that's all because of Jesus so first uh, response is that yes give me Jesus the second response may be I'm not that bad but the third response might be the alternative I'm too bad for God God wouldn't want someone like me it's the opposite of the second response. I want to point you though uh, to the response uh, of the angel. One of the things that the angel said uh, to Mary, the two Marys and Salome when they, when they discovered the empty tomb in, in, uh, in Mark 16 verse 7. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you before you to Galilee. You will see him just as he told you. Why do you think it is that the angel the young man who appeared to the Marys said, Peter, go and tell his disciples and Peter. Because Peter was one of the disciples. Why did the angel say that? Why didn't he just say, go and tell his disciples to meet me ahead or meet him ahead in Galilee? Why did he single out Peter? Well, uh, if, you, if you ever read along the, um, the gospel accounts, you will realize that Peter uh, betrayed Jesus rather he denied Jesus three times Jesus had been arrested he'd been taken into the high priest's house uh, for some sort of kangaroo court in the middle of the night they tried to make accusations stick against him and all the while this was happening Peter it says was outside in the courtyard of the high priest warming himself uh, next to the fire because it was getting late in the, in the middle of the night and uh, firstly it says that uh, a young servant girl recognized Peter and said, you were one of them. You were following that Jesus, weren't you? You were, you were one of his disciples. And Jesus denied it and said, no, 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 not at all. And then sometime later, the same girl asks him again. He said, no, no, no you, you definitely were with Jesus. I, 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 I can remember you. And Jesus, uh, Peter denies it. And a third time then, someone else comes and says, weren't you with Jesus, one of those Galileans? Weren't you uh, part of his rabble? And for the third time, Peter denied that he knew Jesus and he called down curses upon himself and at that moment it says that the uh, the cockerel crowed three times just as Jesus predicted and Peter realized what he had done he, he broke down he wept bitterly he just fell apart and he, he scarpered he went you see Peter at that moment considered himself to be so utterly depraved so evil for what he did how could, how could he ever be forgiven? How could he deny Jesus three times? Well, Jesus was, was in getting interrogated. He denied him three times. How could he ever be forgiven? He rejected him. He'd let him down. And that's why, you see, fast forward to the empty grave, that the angel says, go tell his disciples and Peter, I want to see you again. I want you back. Just imagine how Jesus, sorry, Peter was feeling at that time. Jesus wanted Peter to know that he wasn't done with him. 
that there was no too, sin too great that he was unprepared to forgive. He was planning, you see, to restore Peter. He, he wanted Peter to know that grace is available, that forgiveness is for you. You deserted me, Peter, and yet I never deserted you. I went to death and back. And I want you to come and receive grace and forgiveness from me. So those two words, and Peter, in the angel's message, teach us that, that for everybody, no matter what sins we have done in the past, grace is available, acceptance, forgiveness is there for all people, no matter what they've done, no matter how bad they feel that they are in God's eyes, no matter how dumb they've been and how much they've messed up in the past, how far they have fallen, how deep their guilt, how much hurt they have caused. Those two words in this little account just remind us again that grace is available in Jesus Christ for all who come to him in faith and trust and receive it. There's an old hymn I want to quote to you as we finish written by someone called Fanny Crosby. What a great name. And she writes here, O perfect redemption, the purchase of blood to every believer, the promise of God, listen to this, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. There's no person too good that doesn't need Jesus. There's no person too bad that can't have Jesus. He is there for all of us, the history, the theology, and the need for Easter. Let's pray. And by the way, if you uh, want to receive Jesus Christ by faith, if you want to take him into your, to yourself by faith and, and receive what he, what he did to you, then, then, then use these words. You can say amen with me at the end as we close out. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for sending your son, your only son for us. We praise you that he rose to newness of life, that he beat sin and death and the devil and he secured our right standing with you by his work in our place. Would you show us our ongoing need for Jesus? Would you help us to see that we are worse than we realise when left to our own devices? And yet because of Jesus, we can be more loved and secure than we ever dreamed possible. May you give us faith in Jesus to trust him, either for the first time as we listen to this right now, or with a renewed and deeper trust in you and a deeper devotion than we have ever had. Please send us your Holy Spirit that we might know you better. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer along with me, I want to uh, reach out. I want to thank you. I want to encourage you. I'd love to get in touch with you. Uh, if you're not known to us at Foundation Church Belfast, we'd love to connect with you. Please get in touch through any of our social media channels. Send us a direct message um, or, or look out for the Alpha course that we'll be running in the next few days. Just a, another opportunity. If anything from this message has just... Uh, um, prompted you to learn more about Jesus and the Christian faith, then please do come and sign up for Alpha. You can sign up online. It's completely free. It'll be once a week for an hour. You just come on online. You can uh, watch a short video. We'll just talk about it, get to know each other a little bit. There is absolutely no, uh, no strings attached. 
we'd love you to join us. We'd love to serve you in, in whichever way we can. Bye for now.